You're listening to episode 12 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Hello again and welcome back. Thanks again for listening. I'm absolutely in love with this interview you're going to listen to today. It's with a gentleman that goes by the name of Colton Woods and his business is Colton Woods Horsemanship. I came across him online, loved what he was all about, talking about, listened to his own podcast called The Heart of Horsemanship, and invited him to be on the show, and I'm so glad I did. We share a lot of similar opinions, but definitely some differing ones as well, and it creates such a great conversation. I love that Colton is all about investing in ourselves and investing in who we are as people, and then really talking about how that translates into our horsemanship, because really for me, that's what it's all been about, is digging into who we are, who do we want to become, and then how can we use our horses to be able to see what we're advancing in or how we're advancing in, and then also looking at what we need to improve, and not necessarily looking at our horses as a use of therapy, but looking at them as the key to being able to see where have we progressed? How are we at being truly present? And where do we need to really work on ourselves in order to not only be the best that we can for them, but also the best that we can be for ourselves and everyone else around us? So Colton and I really dig into that and how Colton hired his own personal coach in order to work through things that he felt he needed to work through in his horsemanship, but in turn actually helped him in his marriage and just getting to know himself overall. I won't keep you waiting any longer for the interview, but I will just give you one little heads up. When you start listening to it, you might notice there's a little bit of a change in how we begin the interview. So Colton and I hopped on the call and we started talking like we had known each other for years. And then finally, I just started into the interview by saying, oh, well, tell us about yourself. So we really hadn't even introduced ourselves to each other at that point, but it just kind of flowed and we went with it. So I hope you enjoy the interview and I look forward to having Colton back on Take the Reins in the future because he's got a lot of knowledge and he's just completely in line with what I'm looking to teach here. So let's get started with the interview with Colton Woods of Colton Woods Horsemanship. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm yeah. Nikki, by the way. <laughs> I'm Colton. <laughs> yeah, we probably could have started that way, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we run a training operation um, here in Kentucky, and it's it's a boat, more of a boutique-style uh, training operation. And we'd run – we do a lot of hunter-jumpers and dressage horses. And so my 
what people really seek us out for is a strong foundation on a lot of these horses. And then fortunately, now that I've been at it for several years on my own, we've been blessed to be able to keep some horses past that foundation stage and continue progressing them towards their intended discipline. A lot of times the ones that stick around for us a little bit longer are more of your adult amateur dressage horses and your hunter horses. And Mm -hmm. I've, we've, I've started jumping some horses a bit more. So we're hoping that sometimes the jumpers are hoping that they'll stay a little bit longer because it's always nice when they stay longer than 90 days. Yeah. Um, particularly with that. But, uh, I guess going back to the beginning, I, I didn't grow up around horses at all. So, oh, wow. um, I grew up pretty much as an inner city kid and my parents were in international business, uh, still kind of are. And I grew up in North Carolina going to pretty much as much of an inner city school as you could get. And, um, then I always liked agriculture. I always liked being outside. My grandfather had a pretty big influence. Like he had a small gentleman's cattle farm. And so we, uh, I would spend a lot as much time as I could there at his place and learning everything, you know, how to make hay, how to take care of cattle and stuff. And so I knew when it came, when, as I was getting older, I was like, I won't, I don't want that typical stereotypical office job that I would see my dad was always doing. And as I got older, I realized like he didn't really have a stereotypical office job because he traveled six to eight months out of the year. And so, but as a kid, you're like, Oh, he's always inside. He's always in an office or he's always on an airplane. And I was like, I'm not about that. Hmm. And so when I got turned 16, I'd been working for my parents, like in their warehouse since I was about 12 or 13. And I would just do about anything for a dollar. (laughs) And so I worked for them. And then I was like, when I turned 16, I'm getting a job on a farm and I'm out of here. And I ended up getting a summer job on a friend of mine's place. Their parents had a hunter jumper farm. And I went out there and spent the summer learning the bare bones basics and just horse care and being able to tell one bay horse apart from another bay <laughs> horse. <laughs> it's all the, those little things. I remember like, oh, that one's name's Clark and that one's named Abby. And I'm like, and how the heck do you tell them apart? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Now you're like, you look at him, you're like, well, that's clearly a gelding. That's clearly a mare. But right. when you have never really messed around with them, it was funny. Just like a lot of the stuff that happened that first summer. And after that, um, there was, a, there was a trainer there and she was 22, 23. She was pretty fresh out of college and I was 16. And she's like, well, what do you think you want to do with horses? I was like, I don't know. I just kind of like being around them. You know, we'd like to see where this all leads. And She's like, well, you'll never be a horse trainer and do anything like that because you didn't grow up riding. And at this point, I had never rode, and I was 16. And I don't know if it was the 16-year-old me that had a little bit of a chip <laughs> on my shoulder, but I was just pretty much like, well, can I at least like ride after work on some of these school horses? And they let me beep off around and uh, just never really had a lesson on it. Just they kind of – I was going over roll tops on these hunter horses and stuff like that. And – ended up getting a job out on an Arabian horse farm for the next four summers after that while I was in high school and or early college. And I really learned how to take care of performance horses uh, at a really high level. We were traveling the East coast and up and we went up to Manitoba and into Regina, Saskatchewan every summer and for Canadian nationals for the Arabians. And so I learned everything from how to haul a horse trailer to never having hauled a horse trailer to then, pulling the nine horse rig with the freight liner kind of a deal and getting really comfortable taking care of anywhere from nine to I think my first horse show we took 32 horses (laughs) and so 
I'd never been to a really like been to a horse show. So my first show they took me to, I'd worked there three days and they're like, Hey, we're going to a show this weekend. And I was like, okay, we get there and we took two sets of horses. We took 32 horses. And that was the first horse show I'd ever been to. So for me, that was my foundation at horse shows, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I didn't know any different. I didn't realize it was a big number like mm-hmm. compared to what the normal was. And so anything less than 32, I was like, well, this is pretty easy because <laughs> there was two trainers and there was four, three of us taking care of all the horses and doing all the, all the maintenance and feeding and lunging and all that good stuff. And so I worked uh, there at Rick Galt training for four summers. And then at that point I still hadn't really rode and I got an internship. Well, let me backtrack when, during high school. This is kind of where my horsemanship journey started was I started volunteering at a local equine rescue and mm-hmm. I was there about six months. And I, I was there basically cause I was 16, 17 years old. They needed me for manual labor. And so they're like, Oh, you can found pound fence posts. You can stack. hay, you can do all these other things. And I was more than happy to help out with that. And, but as I was, watching these horses like they were coming in from abuse or neglect cases and i was like we can get the horses to where they're kind of manageable to be around and they're getting fat and they're looking shiny and they're looking good but they're not getting adopted out and having not really been in the game i just kind of asked some folks i'm like why like what's not appealing about these horses to other people and it was pretty clear there's enough pasture pets you know it's hard for someone to come and just adopt one to be a pasture pet and a lot of the horses that we had in there were young horses like two to six years old Mm -hmm. and so you know that's a long time for somebody to adopt just a pasture pet and so all I had basically known at that point was how to put a sat how to get them okay to be saddled and how to lunge a horse but and I knew that was my limitations but I knew it was like at least I could basically do that right so we put up this round pin and I would get them to where I could pretty much lunge them it wasn't even groundwork as we Mm -hmm. as what I would understand it to be today but get them to be saddled and we would work out some work with some local trainers and they would agree to take a horse for 30 or 60 days and put on a just a basic start Mm -hmm. on them and we actually adopted a lot of horses that way with me just kind of starting and I was just doing whatever I could to kind of help these horses along and the trainers were like yeah you know like they're they're quiet enough like just keep doing what you're doing and uh it got to a point (laughs) where um I had a pretty good wreck um they had a horse in there for a while and I was, gosh, how old was I? I was probably 17. I'd been there for probably been there for almost a year, a little over a year. And they had had a horse in there and they're like, gosh, she's fine. We can saddle. We can do all this stuff. Why don't you just climb up there and get on her and just sit on her and rub her. And everything about this looking back was a terrible idea. <laughs> but at the moment, like I, ignorance is bliss, I guess. Right. And so I looked back, I got on this mare and I hadn't hardly had my foot in the other side of the stirrup and everything was bad about it. I mean, it was one of these cheap synthetic, probably treeless saddle kind of deals where I couldn't hardly get my foot in the stirrup regardless. Mm -hmm. And I remember swinging over, you could feel her whole back just go up and she sent me pretty high in the barn. I ended up underneath her and she stomped, stepped on me a couple of times. And ironically though, we were all meeting at the barn that night to go see this film called buck mm. <laughs> and it was the same night in a small town usa so by the time i showed up everyone pretty much knew i had a pretty hefty concussion and it was kind of the running joke of the night but i got we got there and I, that was the first time i realized anyone outside of like where i was from actually did this for a living mm-hmm. 
and that there was it was more of an art than it was just mechanics of horse training and it was it just that 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 was the first kind of step to where I was like oh my gosh there are people that you can actually look to to find outside of just kind of basically that small town vision and mm-hmm. so after that um it was pretty much like he shot me out of a cannon um I saw that and that movie probably came out in 2012 so I was 18 or 19 when I saw that went to college the following year and ended up getting an internship with a program called the legacy of legends which is a program put on by buck brandman and carolyn hunt in memory of tom dorrance and ray hunt and i got that scholarship which sent me to iowa for a couple weeks and at this point i really hadn't rode like i rode those hunters like after work but that was it Hmm. like i i really hadn't so i got sent out to this ranch and it was a good thing like now you have to submit a video to be able to be considered for and I was really thankful they didn't have that until after my year because I probably wouldn't have got the scholarship so I went out there and spent some time with a guy named Kip Fladlin who was Buck's assist one of Buck's assistants from like 98 to the early 2000 probably 2003 ish era and really ironically there at Kip's we started I got to start some colts with him and he put me on some hackamore horses and he got to let me ride a bridle horse and because he follows that vaquero tradition but his mm-hmm. wife is an fei dressage rider and so we were also right i got to ride some warm bloods at the time and little behold now several years down the road i'm married my wife rides hunter jumpers mm-hmm. and we spend the primary of our time developing young warm bloods um to their own to their each of their disciplines and um so it's it's been one heck of a deal it's pretty much been now just turned 2020 uh it's like this is going into like the 10th or 11th year that I've really been into horses. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been like drinking from a fire hose <laughs> the last 10 years or so yeah. trying to, I love it. It's a passion of mine. I just take a, just go and drink as much as I can as far as learning from as many people as I can going and doing as much as I can. And um, today we spend a lot of time, like I said, training horses for the public, but then, uh our big one of my biggest focuses is with goes right along with what our mission of educating horses and people with a lifetime mind Mm -hmm. and so education as far as offering extensive lesson type program to those that have horses in training with us or those that are just wanting to take lessons as well as teaching clinics around the country and doing those sorts of things so the education side is a big big part of it um i spend probably 75 percent of my time doing that Mm. as far as creating video content, our podcast, all sorts of stuff. Awesome. I would love to hear a little bit about your podcast, what exactly it is that you're looking to teach within that podcast. And then I have a few questions that I would like to touch on that I think you have great answers to personally, just based on the little things I've heard from you. Uh, that I think the audience is really going to benefit from. So we'll start with your podcast first, and then we'll jump into a couple questions. All right. Sounds great. So yeah, we run a podcast called the heart of horsemanship and it's an extension of our education program from Colton Woods horsemanship. And I started the heart of horsemanship podcast basically as a way to try to connect with more people. There's, there's so many people when we talk to them on the education front, some learn best from an article from a written article, some learn best from video, some learn best 
from audio recordings. And personally, I'm a podcast junkie myself. Mm, me too. And so I do so much time going down the road or even cleaning stalls that a video requires a lot of effort and a lot of time from somebody. And it's humbling enough that we get people's time to watch videos or to read articles. But podcasts are so good to be able to just listen to as you go. So that was really appealing, of course. But with the heart of horsemanship, I really wanted to tap into what I would define as the heart of horsemanship. And so my personal definition, if I'm going to define horsemanship is that it's not just a way to train a horse. It's horsemanship is not necessarily just a way to train a horse or what, what we do with our horses, but it's everything we do with our horses and mm -hmm. in our own lives. Mm -hmm. And so to me, a lot of times when I look, when I, when I talk with anybody, regardless if you're an amateur trail rider or if you're a professional FEI, rider that rides grand prix jumpers or dressage horses i think that still rings true even if horses are a hobby to you because there's so much that we do outside of our horsemanship that affects the time mm -hmm. that we spend with our horses right. and so like personally i've never been much of one for using my horse as my therapist because mm -hmm. i think that's a lot of responsibility mm -hmm. right? there's a reason they cost a lot of money mm -hmm. and so when i go spend time with my horses i want them to be able to enjoy that but there's things that I can do outside of my horsemanship to maximize the relationship, the connection, and ultimately lead to the goals that I would want to be able to reach with my horse. And everyone's got that own, their own vision of what they would like to be able to do. And I think that that vision of whatever they want to be able to do with their horses is absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. It's just, we have to have the tools to get there. And along my, I, a lot of times you'll find that my content runs, regardless if it's on the Heart of Horsemanship podcast or on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel, you could almost use it as a chart for how I'm developing in my own journey because I try mm -hmm. to bring people along. And the max part about working with people that are more experienced than you is they can save you a lot of time learning the things that they took them forever to learn. Right. And that's what I would like. That's what I like to help people with is saying, Hey, I've learned some of these lessons the hard way. Some of these lessons I've spent a lot of times that people will, I'll start talking about something new, but it's something that I've been trying for over a year mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of time to be able to put certain thoughts into actions and those actions into words that you can actually coherently explain to other people so they can truly understand mm -hmm. what you're trying to convey. And so I break down the horsemanship side of things for both us and our horses into four basic concepts, which is mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I feel like in order for us to be at our best and for our horses to be at our best, for to be at their best, excuse me, that we need to fill that cup per se every day, that we need to invest in ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And when we're with our horses and we're working with them, that we are taking those four things those four concepts, those four pillars into consideration saying, Hey, am I helping develop that horse in a way physically that is, is biomechanically correct. And it's gonna be able to help that horse develop in the way that we need them to. And the same goes for mental, the mental side, are we building in relaxation? Are we building in focus? Are we building in some resilience to pressure that might mm -hmm. come from being in a show pen and the emotional side of being on a lot of times the emotional side being able to evaluate and work at and it's I, this is very much and it might sound a little woo -woo, it is about developing a connection with your horse mm -hmm. um and so every horse is different a lot of times people contact us they'll be like hey can you do a podcast or a video on this issue with my horse and they're looking for maybe training advice mm -hmm. but it's not it's when you when we try to help people 
it's not just training advice necessarily that we're trying mm -hmm. to give, but it is more principles and philosophies and approaches on how we would handle certain situations. And then of course, Absolutely. every horse is unique. So it's not so much like, Oh, I'm going to take this rain and do this at this time for every single horse. Maybe that's right for a particular instance, but it's understanding how we can approach these horses and then honor them mentally. And then the mental and the, or excuse me, emotional and the spiritual side of things. And it gets really deep. It does mm -hmm. get really deep. I love that you're teaching everything to do with the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. I'm in the process right now of creating a personal growth program for horse owners. And it is essentially the teaching on the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual. And within mm -hmm. that, I'm speaking about four pillars of presence. So okay. more often than not, when somebody's coming up with a problem with their horse, and it's it all falls in line with exactly what you're speaking about, mm. is that it, it comes down to presence. So mentally, they were struggling to be exactly where they needed to be and be able to work with that horse from a, a very present place. So I talk about the fact that there's these four pillars, which are trust, confidence, gratitude, and mindfulness. And when you mm -hmm. have all of those four pillars strengthened, then you're truly able to be present. But if you're lacking in an area of confidence, um, then it weakens the other pillars of presence. So it's, it's very difficult to be there now and work with the horse that you have in that moment versus working with the horse that you had yesterday or even working with your horse thinking about the pressure that you just received at home or mm -hmm. you know whatever else that may be so i'm i'm seeing a trend and kind of i'm listening to you and and it makes me laugh a little bit because you're like oh well it might sound a little woo woo but <laughs> i like I'm seeing this trend and it's the exact thing that I'm on a mission to teach. So I absolutely love that other people are picking up on it. Have you ever read Big Magic? I always go back to this book. I heard you mention that in one of your <sighs> previous podcasts. I And I wrote it down, but I haven't read that book. So it's so cool because it talks about like the energy of ideas. And so when you think of the energy of ideas, when a certain energy starts going into them, it's not that you have this one idea that, oh my gosh, this one person, like you didn't hear my podcast and all of a sudden think of these things. And I didn't hear your, your podcast right. and all of a sudden think of these things, but we're on different sides. I'm in Canada, you're in the US and we're, yeah. we're kind of on the same thought process here of like, you know, it's not just a horsemanship journey. It's not a pull the left rein and your horse's nose is going that way and, mm -hmm. and everything's going to be easy. It's really about this personal journey that then our horse is one of the best measures of that personal growth journey. Oh, absolutely. It makes sense. I mean, presence is something that, I mean, I think it's definitely being more talked about, but it's, it's one of those, the presence deal is a damned if you do damned if you don't mm. kind of a situation. And it's something I've really dove into this last year. Exactly. Almost exactly like a year ago, I was preparing for the extreme Mustang makeover competition and I had, competed in it once prior and I the first time I competed in it I finished up second after the first time doing the whole deal I have about 70 some people oh thanks <laughs> thank you and I went into it and I was like you know what we're gonna I'm gonna do my best I'm gonna have fun I'm gonna do what I can for the help this horse find a new home and I knocked all three of those things off my list like I accomplished everything I wanted to I got there to the competition of course when you show up you you're continually learning and I was like okay I learned a lot from the first round 
And as I was preparing for the idea of doing it a second time, I was like, I really need to work on myself before I start this horse what journey with this horse that's wild feral all it knows how to do is survive and I got mm-hmm. started on this whole journey of it started with just basically journaling and mm-hmm. you know for for me personally and like I guess a lot of the guys I hang around like journaling isn't it's something like a diary that a woman would do right but for me it became a fantastic way for processing the way I think about things because mm-hmm. my mind works really far out in front. I'm constantly in the future, which mm-hmm. makes it very hard to be present because mm-hmm. <laughs> my mind is always out in front. And I started using this journaling situation to try to bring all my ideas down. It helped me take fan, take control of my time. Mm-hmm. So I was more efficient when I was working with my horses and helping my clients and getting everything I needed to be done. And then it turned from there into about a month later, it was almost a year ago now, I got into this program or this concept of deep like meditation through deep breath Mm -hmm. as well as cold water therapy. Mm -hmm. And I started in on that and I had done it for about two weeks and I realized, and I was just challenging myself basically with this. And it was the deep breathing meditation was really helping me become more present, but it it was a means to an end because I needed to be more present because I was going to take this cold shower. And I started it in the middle of January, which was just a brilliant idea because <laughs> <laughs> the water for us, I'm not sure what it would be Celsius, but it was 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which mm-hmm. was eight degrees over freezing. So um, we, I started that and I quickly realized I was standing in this cold shower and I had done it for a while for about two weeks and my feet went, ice cold on me and I was like what in the world is going on and I looked down and my toes were like curled up Mm -hmm. just like it was just a normal reaction to them being cold but the problem was I realized that my toes were curled up that they weren't relaxed Mm -hmm. and if I didn't relax I couldn't get blood flow back to my feet in this cold shower and at that point I was like this is totally the same thing as horsemanship right this was I was like whether you're starting a cult or you're, if you're a rider that's trying to gain your confidence back with your horses, if you can stay focused and mm-hmm. you can stay relaxed, which means you have to be present, then it's fundamentally game-changing for our horsemanship. And since then, I've gone on and worked with an own, my own personal coach as far as diving into becoming more present, becoming mm-hmm. more self-aware and those sorts of things. And it was one of those things. He sent me on a path a couple of weeks ago as far as a, something to focus on. And it had everything to do with presence. And I met with him the following week and I was like, this has been like the hardest week of my life. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, the more aware I am of the fact Mm -hmm. that I'm not present, the harder Mm -hmm. it feels like it to be present. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those situations where before I wasn't aware of how much I wasn't necessarily present. Mm -hmm. And that was, it had more to do with like, honestly, with my marriage. Mm-hmm. than it did actually the horses when I get to one of my horses I'm locked and loaded I'm right there but then there are still those one or two pieces that sometimes are like oh gosh I still have to go teach this lesson later or all oh, I've got mm-hmm. to go pack for this clinic and your horses know that even if it even if you don't realize it consciously there could be just these subconscious thought processes along the way and for me personally i contacted him initially to help me out with reaching a much higher level of horsemanship and really gaining a connection that a lot of us you can see it you can almost feel it when you see a horseman or a horsewoman with their horse but 
it's such a special connection. And for mm-hmm. me personally, trying to reach that next level, I was like, I'm just, I feel like I'm missing a few of these pieces. And the more we dug into it, it would, it became totally, the journey became totally something different. I worked with him for about 12 weeks or so. Mm-hmm. And it sent me on this whole journey. And we, it became down to, we just stopped working together last week. Cause I have so much to think about. I'm like, I just need to right. go practice. Mm-hmm. I just need to go try and put this to work. But it became one of the last conversations we had was talking about the difference between doing a job and the mechanics of it, whether that's your business or whether that's your life or whether that's your horsemanship and the art of doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And there's, it feels like when you first get started that you're, that when you get started, it's way more about the mechanics. It is about getting that good groundwork and it's about focusing on the lateral flexion or how to hold your rein position or how to have a really good seat and balance. It, when you first start it is you have to learn the basic mechanical skills to be successful. But then the further you get in it, the, the image that comes to my mind is more about like watching an artist paint on a canvas mm-hmm. and it's, there's no right or wrong stroke and there might, there's just some strokes that are better in certain moments as far as timing goes or how much pressure or release you need to give. And it would be truly becomes more of an art form. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of where a lot of that led in. It has everything to do with presence, (laughs) everything to do with self-awareness. And to me, it's not so much more about now about the physical skills as it is the, all the other aspects Mm -hmm. the physical the mental emotional and spiritual sides Mm -hmm. that leads into that because i feel like if we get that stuff right a lot of the mechanical skills take care of themselves right because we've taken care of ourselves to prepare ourselves for those moments and Mm -hmm. that's really what it's about for me at this point is like trying to help people on these levels Mm -hmm. and then in turn they'll be able to reach those those goals with their horses long term yeah I love that you speak about going and reaching out to a a life coach of sorts, right? Mm -hmm. So a personal coach, because I always think about the fact I've had a riding coach since I began riding, right? And so there's any time that I've been in any form of serious riding, which I think there's only a gap there of a short time when I was like, oh, I'm quitting horses because at some point when you're (laughs) in like university, if you've been doing it for your whole life, you're like, can I live without this? And then you quickly discover that not so much. Um, So there's a short time I didn't have a coach, but it's, it's like we invest in these coaches because we understand the value of them, but we're hiring and paying for them to teach us how to ride the horse and have the horse do the things. But I think my mission right now, above and beyond anything else, is really to allow people to understand that you know you can you can put the hours in the tack, but if you can't put those hours outside of the arena as well and really value that personal coaching side of things, then you're going to kind of continue on this struggle. It's harder to get over the humps. Now you can, and I've seen lots of people succeed without really diving deep into personal growth. But if it's, if it's calling to anyone at all, it helps in every way, shape and form when it comes to communication, whether that be with their horse or their husband or their wife or their child or their dog. Right. So when you start to really tap into who you are and why you operate the way that you do and, and how to not beat yourself up over it and realize that you're worth loving now, but you can still look to change later. 
Mm-hmm. It, it makes such a huge impact. Something that I would love to talk about with you, and I was listening to your podcast episode. It was a long interview with a gentleman. What was his oh, name? Patrick King. Patrick King. So yeah. I loved that. It was, uh, I listened to it, I think it was between two different days of me doing morning chores. And you said something that I think I've been thinking about it since that conversation. And as soon as you started speaking today, I was like, oh, I got to jot that down and have that conversation. So uh, my very first podcast episode is titled That Horses Are a Mirror to Your Soul. And you said, well, I don't really believe that horses are a mirror to your soul. And as soon as those words came out of your lips, I was like, wait a second. I don't think that I believe it in the way that people would interpret it. Okay. So I, it really got me thinking about, you know, what does that actually mean? Because I think mm-hmm. very easily we say it and it, it just sounds really cool, right? Like our horses are a mirror to our soul. But when you really think about it, I, I believe I was, when I hear it, I interpret it as a horse is a reflection of how present you are in your life, whether that be inside or outside and whether you can work from a place of the now with someone or whether you hold on to resentment or hold on to fear, or hold on to self-doubt and all of those things. But not that like every horse out in the pasture is, you know, if, they're, if their owner's a little neurotic that they're out in the pasture neurotic. Well, no, they're, they're out in the pasture <laughs> living their little horse life. And then the energy that they reflect back when the handler. So I think of like, the video of Warwick handling, I think it was a warm blood he was handling at a clinic and the owner's holding onto it and the horse was having a really hard time settling. And then Warwick took the lead line and all of a sudden he didn't even have to do anything. And the horse was like, oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Life is good. So it's more of a reflection of your energy than it is necessarily who you are deep down. I don't know if I can, if that, does that make sense? It's, it's certainly a tricky one to try to encapsulate and it was funny you bring that up because as soon as you sent me a message to about being on the podcast and I was super excited. So of course I went and listened to a couple episodes of the podcast to kind of get a feel for maybe how it would go and everything. And in your introduction, I, I specifically remember hearing that uh, is that part of the horses mm-hmm. being a mirror of your soul. And I was like, Oh, this could be interesting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cause, and cause it is one of those things that, just like you said, maybe people don't quite understand it mm-hmm. a lot of times in the way it's intended mm-hmm. uh, because it's, it's one of those phrases that gets so overused. It becomes cliche. Yeah. And a lot of times people like to believe, like you said, whether it's an example of, Oh, this horse, this person is anxious. So the horse is constantly going to be anxious when it's turned out in the field, mm-hmm. not necessarily. Right. And I think that it, you were for, I guess how I would define it, like you were like headed, like we were both mentally going the same route when you were walking through it there. And I think a lot of times that they may not be necessarily be a reflection of your soul mm-hmm. or like they may not necessarily be a mirror to your soul, excuse me, but they will, they will respond to where your soul is at. Right. Yeah. I think that wherever they're going to respond and it could, I think, this is going to be a little too superficial for the, cause I, this is, we're talking here, we're talking about soul and we're talking about mm. spirit. Like this is very, very, very deep. And it is a, perhaps one of the more, most important pieces when it comes to actually connecting with our horses, because 
we have to open ourselves up to another set, another phase or another layer of vulnerability. We have to be mm-hmm. that much more honest with ourselves down in our core mm-hmm. with where we're truly at. And I don't, I don't personally necessarily believe that horses will reflect or they won't, excuse me, they won't necessarily be a mirror to your soul, but they, that energy that is mm-hmm. conveyed on a more of a spiritual level, they pick up on that mm-hmm. and they respond accordingly. So yeah. to even call it a reflection, when I, th- when I hear personally hear reflection, I see a mirror. Right. And, yeah. Yep. And so it's more of a, if I have a, if I'm holding back and this was one thing that I worked on when I was getting ready for that Mustang makeover was that I wanted to be able to, when I tell people, when I work with horses and I help people with their horses, I tell people, I want to be able to feel like I can take my hand and reach inside of their soul, reach right inside their heart. And I know exactly what I've got. Mm -hmm. And sometimes per se, when you first get a horse, like a wild Mustang, you know, what's in there and there's nothing wrong with it. You just have to be honest about what it is. Mm -hmm. You have to be honest that they have a, an innate need to survive. So when they kick out at something, it's, unless it's a learned behavior, it's, it's just sheer out of instinct and that's okay. But later on, when I look at particularly like advancing a horse to be a trail riding horse or to advancing a horse to be a performance horse, if I need to ask that horse to get up and go somewhere lickety split so that we stay out of trouble, Mm-hmm. I need to know that if I kick them a little harder than I normally would, mm-hmm. or I ask them for a little more energy than I normally would, or I accidentally take, I, I pull on the reins a little harder. I need to know that they're going to go, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Where do you need me? And how fast do you need me to get there? Right. Not go back into survival mode. Right. And, or even just some horses just, they don't respond. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. They just yeah. go, no, like, it, yeah. and maybe it's not, no, maybe it's just, they've become, lifeless mm-hmm. just per what they've experienced but it's more of one of those things that I want to I need to know deep down in myself in my soul and I need to know and in turn be able to know inside my horse's soul what is there right. and throughout the education process there'll be different pieces that you want to work on mm-hmm. like I know a lot of people go to work with their horses and they want to just enjoy the ride mm-hmm. they just want to go have fun with their horse and I think we all should Mm-hmm. and we should enjoy it but a lot of it is to me it's developing a relationship developing a working partnership with your horse along the way and so for me personally now I do ride horses for the public I'm going in there building their confidence on what they mm-hmm. already know and then finding the pieces that aren't quite as polished mm-hmm. and we're spending some time on the sticky stuff yeah and we're digging deep and we're building in character we're building in work ethic and that all, it all comes from the inside out. And mm-hmm. so when I really think about, I don't like to get hung up on stuff like on just menial type things, but words are very important. And mm-hmm. so a lot of times when I'm working with people in clinics and they just start to describe their horse in a certain mm-hmm. way, their horse can't help be, almost become that way because mm-hmm. they've manifested an image or a vision mm-hmm. of what that horse already is. And we, we a lot of times joke, like you tell your horse, don't buck, don't rear, don't run away, don't paw. Mm-hmm. And we always, I, my buddy Patrick and I, we would joke, like they don't hear the word don't. <laughs> they just hear buck, rear, paw, run off. Like they don't, 
they don't hear like that but it's more of the manifestation and the vision that you have versus saying Mm -hmm. manifesting what you do want them to do Mm -hmm. and looking ahead and doing all these things and it's amazing because that it's just a thought process like yes there will be some slight physical changes that a person may or may not even notice that mm-hmm. they make when they change the way they think about things. Usually they carry their shoulders a little higher right. and they keep their heads up a little bit more and they internally have a little more confidence. They might use their core a little bit more. There certainly are physical things that might take place, but just off the sheer changing of an idea of a way of thinking about something, the horse changes their way of thinking about the thing that mm-hmm. they're thinking about. And so I think words are very important and yeah, it's funny you bring that up with the with the mirror to your soul thing because I can't take credit for that being an original thought. That was somebody that someone had mentioned that to me and they had been thinking on that. And they're like, I'm not so sure that's true. And I hadn't spent much time thinking about it. And of course, after the fact, I spent a lot of time thinking mm-hmm. about it because it was one of those things that everyone's like, they want it to be a mirror to your soul, but maybe they're, they become more of a product of where you're at right. <laughs> in your soul, yeah. right? Your horses become that. They are, yeah, they, I think they become a product of where we're at in our lives. And sometimes we got to look in our own mirror and realize, is that the product we want to put out? Yeah. And I think really like when I, when I labeled that podcast, like I almost kicked my butt afterwards and was like, why did I label it like that? But Mm. at the same time, I also know why I did. Right. So it was interesting because when I really started to look into it after I listen to your podcast. I didn't change how I thought about it necessarily, but more just how it might be interpreted by other people. And really the whole purpose to the mirror to your soul was hoping that people would understand that it gives you an opportunity to reflect on if you don't like what you're seeing, it's an opportunity to change something and to pre- and to show up differently for that animal if you're looking for them to be with you in a different way that it's you you who needs to take the first step you don't need to necessarily and sometimes yes you do you don't necessarily need to just send that horse off to training and not see it for the next 90 days and have it come back and be like yes my horse is finished <laughs> right, if you haven't yeah. done anything to change yourself in that time, then you're still going to see those same things get reflected back on you where you're like, oh gosh, I still don't like that. What's going on? Um, so it's more that it presents an opportunity than anything else. I, I think would... it's important too to take that phrase though. And this is something that I've been thinking on and then I really admire Warwick Schiller's work mm-hmm. And I don't consume a lot of the content that other people put out. Like my head's busy enough in my own area Mm -hmm. as far as all the thoughts running through. But I do try to reach out. Like I I have hired a personal professional coach as far as and just more on the personal development side, not even on the horsemanship side of things. And one of the things that I've really tried to implement, like with the mirror to your soul thing, this concept, it can, that, that phrase in itself can serve a lot of people when, depending on where they're in their journey mm-hmm. to somebody that's just, and I remember probably when I, probably when I first heard that phrase, I took it for what maybe we're talking about right now, right. as far as like that being that surface level value of the literal interpretation. Oh, that horse is going to mirror exactly what I feel or what, right. what, how I am. And I, I think there's a lot of good that comes from that, but then I personally find like when I'm watching, I'm way more careful about how I respond to people now mm-hmm. by trying to understand where they're at in their own journey mm-hmm. and trying to understand that maybe 
pretty much what they're saying or what they're trying to explain is just a product of where they're at mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually mm-hmm. in their own life. Mm-hmm. And certainly we might be able to help provide some guidance to steer them in a direction of based on what they're looking for. But I try not to judge people based on like, oh, they like taking this phrase and it meaning this is mm-hmm. wrong. It's not wrong. It's just how they understand it based on where they're at right now. And, and it's likely that they need it to be that way for it to make sense to them. Absolutely. For their world to make sense right now, that interpretation is a necessity. Absolutely. Because it, it's all changing. Like I, I, one thing that I, I talk about with some folks is like, I was, I hate, I, I think most humans, like we don't like to change things. We mm-hmm. like, we're creatures of habit. And I personally, like when my mom would move furniture around the living room at Christmas time <laughs> to make room for the tree, I'm like, why can't we just leave it the same? Right. Like, like just, you I, sound I like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I like things to be predictable yeah. and all that stuff. But I also, there's another part of me that's the creative adventure side where I do like things to constantly be changing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times people get a bit, emotional about making changes in our own lives because maybe because you're worried about what somebody's going to feel about it or what other people are going to think about it. But I think it's really important that we are open to making changes and being willing to say a lot of times when I tell people that come to clinics, I'm like, listen, this is, I'm giving you guys the best I've got today. Mm-hmm. I was like, you could come ride with me in six hours or in six months. I hope that I have something different to offer you mm-hmm. and that because I've grown since we last worked together and then I've learned from all the horses and the people in between and I'm not, and I don't get emotional about changing my mind. They might go, well, you told me this last time. And I was like, but I know better now. Mm-hmm. So my wife is the biggest Guinea pig of all of them because she, she looks at me and she needs help developing her horse and she's done most of the work on her own and she'll be working on something. And then I'll go give her a lesson in a couple weeks after the fact. And I'm like, how's this going? And she's like, well, I've been trying this and that. And I was like, Hey, do this instead. Mm -hmm. And she's like this, you told me to do it this other way. And I was like, well, I've been trying something new and it seems to be working better. So why don't you give this a shot? Mm -hmm. And fortunately she puts up with my antics, but that's the thing is like, you can only do the best. You can only do the best you can do. And Mm -hmm. like, you just got to live it leave it at that and not beat yourself up and I'm one I will beat myself up every day of the week for not being better or doing better Mm -hmm. but all you can do is do your best and leave it out there and go to bed at night but you're knowing that you did everything you could to do Mm -hmm. everything that you needed to take care of that day the best you could and I pretty much look at it as if I didn't wake up the next day that every day if I go to bed and I'm like I'm satisfied that I did everything I felt like I could do to the best of my abilities. Like it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good day lived. And that's exactly my, I don't know if you had an opportunity to listen to my last podcast episode. I don't um, think I got into the last one. I, uh, I think uh, it came out after I listened to some of the other ones. Well, I had a totally different plan for this particular episode and I scrapped it completely after mm. seeing a, um, quite a few Facebook posts about the Christmas holidays and the stress that came along with the holidays of did people buy enough? Did they not buy enough? Are they going and showing up at the right time? Are they too early? Are they too late? Are they bringing too much? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like the overthinking and the overstressing around the holidays. And the entire episode was on did you do your best? If you're showing up, like I literally 
took a expiry date from the day before off a pumpkin pie to a potluck dinner on the 29th. And I was like, I had my big meal the day before I fed 20 people. So I was like, <laughs> my best right now is taking this expired pie to this, <laughs> to this potluck dinner. Yeah, it's not moldy. We're good. It only expired the day before. And like, that was, that was me bringing my best. We were five yep. minutes late. I had the pie, we showed up, my daughter was wearing the outfit that the people that we were there visiting, that they had bought her for Christmas. She wasn't in a typical Christmas dress because I wanted them to see that. And we ended up staying, normally we would like rush off because we'd have to go do chores. We ended up staying, we were the last ones to leave. And like she hugged me a little tighter that day. A lot of times I could have, I could have went there feeling like, oh gosh, like I shouldn't, I, we can't be late. We can't be late. And then why, why would I bring this? I shouldn't even bring anything at all. Maybe we shouldn't go. And just allowing ourselves to just dwell on all of these other thoughts versus, is this my best right now? And if it is, awesome. That's great. I'm going to continue. If it wasn't necessarily good enough in my eyes, well, maybe next year I'll just plan a little better to be able to bring a fresher pie, you know, like. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so big that, you know, we do put our best foot forward and that certainly takes discipline, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. And it takes being intentional and you got to know yourself. Some people need somebody else to kick them in the pants and say, Hey, get your act together. Other mm -hmm. people are more intrinsically motivated. Sometimes they, people might need to get out of a rut and do what they're passionate and about and find their real purpose. But at the same time, like at the end of the day, like judgment kills. Right. And I, that's been a huge focus of mine is like, okay, we used to, we used to joke as like, far as you take the Myers Briggs and you have all your personality types. And the one is mine was ISTJ. And the last one being J is, and it's not about judging other people, but it's just how you sort through information. and. But if every, you know, if you caught yourself going somewhere and you making a judgmental thought or a comment or whatever, mm -hmm. and for me, I realized that the people at the very highest, the, the top of the top, whether it's in business or horsemanship or any type of realm of life um, or career, they're some of the most open-minded people mm -hmm. that you'll ever meet. And so for me, I'm like, you know, if I really want to be at the best of my game, this the way the judgment has to be taken care of but also yeah. more than judging other people because that's kind of just pointless is judging yourself mm -hmm. and that comes down to what you were just talking about as far as like putting that best foot forward and then being okay with it mm -hmm. and then being okay with not having all the answers or being okay with you know not or just being more present and feel like that for me has been it's like I feel like I could be going doing so much more but mm -hmm. you know my wife wants to do something about spending time together because that means more to her than going and doing things. And for me, it's, it's not how I'm naturally wired, but it's one of those mm -hmm. things that you have to work on and then realize like, this is what's important. This is, and I'm not going to judge myself for it because it's all going to work out at the end of the day. Cause you got to have your priorities straight too, you know, mm -hmm. and you got to be honest and willing to kind of, kind of cut yourself down so you can build yourself back up for a lack mm -hmm. of better terms. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to ask a little bit on one last topic. So we don't, you know, I have a feeling we could be here all day. Oh, I think um, we could. <laughs> so I want to talk about leadership a little bit with you because I feel like there's a lot, like you, you talked about the term connection and I, I do a lot of reading and watching on heart math and our energy and 
how our horses connect to our energy. So I, I really think about the actual physical connection a lot between a horse and rider and what that means. But then we hear the term partnership a lot. And what when we think of partnership and think of that equal partnership, but then if you apply that to horsemanship, are people translating that we're not necessarily looking to be that equal partner that our horse is craving that strong leadership um, mentally, emotionally, physically. How, how do you interpret that? Or if you had any advice to offer our listeners on a way to be able to hone in on leadership skills that would really translate into the barn. Yeah, absolutely. So leadership is really important. And when I think about leadership with our horses, I go down and I look at what is a leader to a horse for a lack of better terms there. And I look at it, I've gone out and watched groups of broodmares, like large groups of broodmares, or if you're out West, you might be able to go watch wild Mustangs or something like that. You could watch a group of mares and foals, but you want a quantity of horses that you can kind of get the gist of what's happening. And I've gone out and watched different herds of horses and when you look find the lead horse there's they're unique individuals and in some herds because we've created these domesticated kind of herds sometimes there's just the top horse because that's the most fit horse in that group but are they truly a real leader type horse is up for debate i personally started i had the very first mustang makeover i did the mare was a six-year-old mare that i it was a random selection kind of deal. So I showed up and they told me which one I got. And so we went and watched her in the pens for a couple hours before they could get her loaded into our trailer. And you could tell she ran the show. And it wasn't just that she was the easiest, the most fit horse in there to run out of all those. Like she came out, you could tell she had all the traits to be a quality leader in a very big herd Mm -hmm. and a lot of times people think oh they have to be the ones that are the most strict and Mm. they they run a tight ship and all these other things and it's quite contrary sometimes when you Mm -hmm. watch what the real leader because you might have the horses in the herd that are causing a scene and they're like running other horses off the feed Mm -hmm. and they're chasing other ones just it seems like for the hell of it but those horses are actually a liability (laughs) to the herd because they draw attention and mm-hmm. with them being prey animals, they're not your actual leaders. They might be the most erratic. They might throw the most kicks in the bite. They might be the most like aggressive. That. That's right. Yeah. Right. They, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best leader. A lot of right. times your best leader are ones that they can flick an ear and they'll hold the horses will move exactly. or they'll just shift their weight and that horse will, the other horses will make a change in the way that they're standing or where they're going. And they, that leader is oftentimes had to have those tough conversations of, Hey, I pinned my ears at you. Hey, I laid my ears flat back. Hey, I cocked my hip at you and you still haven't moved from the water trough or you haven't moved out of my space. So I'm going to back it up and I'm going to bite her. I'm going to kick you. And Mm -hmm. they've had those tough conversations already with many of those horses in their herd. But once they had them, they had them and they were consistent in how they went about doing it. Mm -hmm. And they went through the same sequence of trying to run that horse off pin in their ears, shark in their face and snake in their neck at them, cocking their hip, eventually mm-hmm. kicking out at them. And if they didn't go, they might turn around and run them off with their teeth open. And, but they were consistent in their approach each time. And eventually the other horses go, Hey, I'm just going to move out of the way when you flick your ear. Cause I know what's coming. But those horses also have a piece about them because they have this inner confidence that only comes from inside of them. And that was what this mare had that I, when I was training her, you couldn't put that in a horse necessarily. Mm-hmm. 
Like it was who she was. She possessed a massive amount of confidence in herself. And sometimes that was for the better for my training. And sometimes it wasn't Mm -hmm. because there was a couple instances where she was like, I'm pretty sure this is how it's going to go. And for me being her leader, I had to stay consistent. I had to stay present. I had to stay right there to be able to help her out and then help her make a mindset shift in what would be make her successful in a domesticated setting. But I think it's really important when we go to look at being leaders for our horses that we take in what they consider to be a good leader. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like to go and look at the herd dynamic side of things because they want consistent. They want someone that's going to keep it black and white. That's not going to necessarily daily dally. So when I look at being a good leader for my horses, I like to look at the herd dynamics and what they want us to be, what they find as important qualities in their own leaders within their herd. And being that consistent individual, being that one that is present, that is their leaders, horses leaders are aware of what's happening at all times. They're aware of them, their own emotions. They're aware of how their other herd mates are feeling. Uh, they're aware if one is unsettled about something or maybe if they aren't feeling good, right? Something mm-hmm. as trivial, it might be as, you know, for us as leaders, when I, I, I want to relate this back to people, I can talk about on the horse side of things, but Warwick's kind of been talking about this a little mm-hmm. bit. And I, I found it interesting hearing his, his take on this phrase, but it was a Ray Hunt phrase that they know what you know, and they know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And for me and along my journey, that, that phrase it always it has always kind of meant that that they 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 know exactly where you're at mm-hmm. whether that's not necessarily a knowledge based on how well you can train a horse but it's just do you really know where their horse is at do you know how they feel do you know what mm-hmm. they're thinking about do you know how tense or relaxed they are like do you know how connected are you with them on a more of a spiritual level do they they know that can and, they relax with you like is it safe for them right. to relax while they're under your leadership yeah and it, the fact that if they're aware that you aren't quite there, like we've seen mm-hmm. it, I think we, a lot, I think a lot of professionals joke about it, but it's like you go to, you have your, you have a horse that you're riding and you get on the horse and the horse can be like, maybe it's your, maybe it's your own horse and the horse kind of holds you to a higher standard mm-hmm. versus you go to put somebody on a horse that doesn't know much about horses but you explain to them, hey, if you put this leg on, they do this. If you pick up on this train, they're going to do that. And a lot of times those horses meet those people right where they're at. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that they know where you're at. They, they know what you know and they know what you don't know. And mm-hmm. they, a lot of horses that are honest horses, they'll meet you where you're at. So as our leaders for our horses, it's so important that we build our self-awareness and we try to explain to our horses that we, I think we really have to slow down as leaders a lot of us get in a rush and mm-hmm. even in like something the, the instance that just came to mind now is like going to saddle our horses like that can be such a time where you just tie your horse up you put them in cross ties whatever you do with them and you brush them off and then you go to throw the saddle pad on but how many times do we grab the saddle pad and we look straight at their withers and we just go to throw the saddle pad on them mm-hmm. but do we really check in with them to see how their eye is or mm-hmm. are they standing there with a leg cocked or mm-hmm. There's a tail swish as soon as the pad hits their back or right or are they are they tight in a certain part of their shoulder or their neck or their back you know Mm -hmm. just they they know if you recognize that or not Mm -hmm. and it's sometimes you don't even have to do a whole lot about it 
other than just recognize that and, and just take a second and say, Hey, I see it. Yeah. You may not have to, you may not have to change much, but just letting them know that, you know, mm-hmm. can fundamentally change that. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to like being the best leader we can for our horses, I think it starts outside of horses. Mm-hmm. Um, being the best leader, one of the easiest things and most dreadful things for most people is working on the physical side. Yeah. We know that. And I'm pretty honest with people. If they, if they open that door and they let me know, I can be honest with them. I will, I will pour into them and be absolutely honest. And I will be kind about it, but I would tell you like, you know, somebody, a lot of people, like a lot of times, even me personally, the one of the best ways to gain confidence is to start working out. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to go run a triathlon in the next three weeks, but that just means that do what you can from where you're at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether that's just going for a walk or doing some basic push ups, or maybe you subscribe to my wife is subscribes to this deal called Pure Bar, and mm-hmm. they have all sorts of workouts, and it's a lot of it's core related and it's pretty related. She's been able to relate it to riding horses, and so she enjoys that. And, but, just starting with the physical side can help us you feel different and so when you look at experiences a lot of us dread working out because maybe you get sore after the fact (laughs) versus saying hey don't maybe when you start because you know that you don't want to be sore then don't work out so much that you get yourself so sore because then you're gonna have this negative emotion associated Mm -hmm. with that experience versus saying hey i'm gonna go work out and I'm going to push myself a little bit, but I'm not going to overdo it because I'm mm-hmm. still training my mind to enjoy this because I know that it's going to help me with my horses. And then when you feel a little bit stronger and you've knocked something off your checklist that you didn't want to do for the day, you get that confidence, you get a little more disciplined. And when you go to work with your horses, you will feel more prepared mm-hmm. to work with your horse because there's no doubt there's so much information out there right now that it can be overwhelming that we end up feeling like we're going to confuse ourselves and that we're trying to figure out what you, you take in all this information. Maybe you're on a subscription or you watch DVDs and mm-hmm. you go work for your horse. And you're like, I think I remember that, but I don't know what to do because he just did this. And it's just rather than breaking it down, trying to keep things simple, work on the physical, get a little confident, do the best mm-hmm. you can in the moment. Cause your horse will know, like if you're trying, your horse will know. It doesn't mean that what you're doing is necessarily the most effective. That's okay. You're doing the best you can Mm -hmm. and you keep going through that process. And so when I, I think that, you know, developing strong leadership, you know, with your horse, it really starts, it starts with you. It starts with the mental, starts filling that cup every day with the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, and that can you, that is however it means to you. That is not Mm -hmm. one way or another. That is whatever you feel like will add to your life physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and whatever speaks to you in that. But I think those four concepts on some level, if we can work on those, Mm -hmm. then we can go to work with our horses and in turn be better leaders for them. And, you know, for me personally, this whole horses is great, but it, it started off that when I started with that equine rescue, all I wanted to do was help horses get along a little better to help them have an education that would serve them the rest of their lives. And I went to Iowa and I spent some time out there at Kip's place. And I was like, before I went, I was like, all I want to do is ride horses for the public. I don't care. Like put me in the middle of nowhere, just have enough horses to ride every day. And the deeper and deeper I get into this, the more 
one, we have the incredible opportunity to learn from these horses and to develop and to further ourselves. But my, my true passion that's starting to grow and fester, and I've been trying to find ways to put it into words, is to really help people change their lives, like help people mm. become happier, healthier, mm. and to, of course, reach your goals with your horses. Because for, I have no question that I can help teach the mechanics on the horsemanship side to take people to whatever height they want to go in whatever discipline. But that I'm not, I don't have any doubt about that. But what I really want to focus on helping people is pretty much trans, and this is going to sound big, but mm -hmm. it's going to be to transform people's lives by them understanding how like they want the connection with their horse mm -hmm. and they'll do all of these things for their horses. And if they get to achieve their goals with their horse to me, that, that is great. But I think the big win is that you're happier, you're healthier, mm -hmm. maybe your marriage is better. Maybe your finances are better. You're more mentally happy. Like you're in a better mental state. You're in a better spiritual state. Physically you're healthier. You might put a few years back on your life. If you, you know, you quit smoking or mm -hmm. you start working out or you start eating better, like all for the sake, because you want to have a better connection with your horse. And that, and that's why I did it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's personally, like I made a lot of changes and I still keep making changes in my own life because I want to be the best horseman I can possibly be. And so it's a funny leverage cycle because these horses, you know, they can't verbally speak to you, but they can tell you a lot. And it's amazing, like the sacrifices that, I mean, just this last year, I mean, I take cold showers all the time. Everybody's like, thinks you're crazy. <laughs> and I've started eating more plant-based than I ever have. And like, I like steak, <laughs> you know, I like <laughs> to eat pork chop and stuff like that. But I also know when I feel better. And mm -hmm. so if I could help people become more, if they can, if I can help people live a better life, a stronger life, a healthier life, a happier life, mm -hmm. all in the sake of becoming closer with their horse because that will happen if you start doing those right. things in your own life outside of your horses those things with your horse will happen because right. it, it's it, it's not necessarily rocket science it's kind of voodoo but it's, it's not at the same time because they know they can pick up on all these changes and it's once you get that ball rolling I, all this is now is coming from more of a place of feeling with inside me because i felt it mm -hmm. and i can't it's not something that somebody can give you. It's not something that somebody can teach you exactly how to do. You have to start doing it. And if I could help people feel and see the things that I kind of feel and see on a day to day basis that I have thus far, there's plenty more to come, but that would, that would be the, that would be a win. Yeah, absolutely. I had a suggestion. So when you were talking about the leadership, a suggestion, a book suggestion for people would be horses never lie. Okay. by Mark Rashid. Um, and it's talking about the heart of passive leadership. Okay. It's, uh, I, I believe I listened to it as audiobook, but have it as paper as well. It's not a long read. It's not a difficult read, but it really explains that ability for us to be a passive leader versus that aggressive horse that we see in the pasture that we're like, ah, oh, that horse is, that horse is really taking care of business. And then you see the horse exactly like you described that flicks the ear and the other horses are like, ah, oh, yes. Yeah, no problem. I can, I can do that for you. So I think that would be a great resource for people. Yeah, I think that would be, I, I would really, I'm going to definitely check into that. That pat, the way you put that with the passive versus of aggressive is huge. I mean, because real leaders aren't aggressive, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, 
we've all probably worked for people that came off, you know, quite aggressive and it's not enjoyable. You don't want to stick around for a while. You might put up with it for a little bit because you have to, for whatever reason, but over a long period of time, like it's not sustainable. It's not something you're going to stick around for. And, but the people that have good communication, they're consistent, they're fair, they're kind, they have boundaries and you understand what those boundaries are. And they're, if you cross them, they're fair about how they go through and make the correction. And then you can, you can find confidence in that and you can find comfort in that. And that, I mean, that's, that's what we want, whether it's in the workplace or whether it's in our marriage or our family right. dynamic or, uh, and our horses want that too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Colton, I, uh, I want to say thank you. That was a great conversation and I would love to have you back on sometime. Cause I think we have a lot more that we could talk about. Absolutely. No, I greatly appreciate the opportunity. I definitely enjoyed it and would love to join you again sometime. It was great. Thanks a lot. I hope you have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you found yourself questioning at all while listening, whether you should be investing in a coach for yourself, I encourage you to pop on over to my webpage, nikkiporter.ca, where you can schedule a free discovery call where you and I will take some time together to assess your own mindset and any blocks that might be stopping you from feeling confident and connected both at the barn and in life beyond horsemanship. There's no obligation to work with me beyond the call. And if you do decide that I'm the right fit for you to help transform your mindset to become the connected, present, confident leader you are meant to be in and out of the arena, I have six spots currently open at a scholarship pricing that will not be offered again in 2020. Schedule your chat with me and let's discover if I can be the one to shift you from being led by fear and doubt to leading your horse and life with powerful presence and confidence. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to nikkiporter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.